Good day to you, fine people of God. I'm Pastor Cole McClendon coming to you from Central Assembly of God, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I trust that you will find great value in listening to this message today. My hope is that you're encouraged and strengthened by the word given and that you will return to this site frequently to listen in. Be blessed. Stay on your feet. Stay on your feet. Don't be seated. As we're going to go through the word, praise the Lord. The beautiful presence of God in this place. Hallelujah. It makes me want to shout, praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, amen, go, to, go with me to the book of Philippians chapter 3. Praise God. Philippians chapter 3. How many ready for a word today? Amen. amen. We are ready for the word, amen. And God never ceases to sow into your life. He never ceases to sow into his people. So the word today reads in the book of Philippians, chapter 3 and verse 12. When you have it, you may say amen. amen. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. So brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. 14 says one more time before we're seated. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You may be seated. Praise God. I want to preach to you under the theme, very easy, two-word title today, With Christ. With Christ. Last week, Pastor Cole uh, brought us a word uh, regarding the, the, the same foundation I'm going to speak on today, but I'm going to take a different, I'm going to take a different route. And what I, what I want to speak on today is, is, is simply the difference and understanding the difference uh, between what God is calling, what Christ, how Christ wants us to live with him and how perhaps we think uh, we, we think about what we think about how we live with him. Basically, the difference between being in a relationship and being unified. Being in a relationship and having unity with. And let me start by simply saying that it is the plan of the enemy. It is the desire of the enemy. It is the, the constant uh, uh, goal of the enemy that you and I live separated from Christ. 
that you and I live separated from Christ. This is why the main objective of sin or the main symptom of sin, the principal symptom of sin is separation from Christ. We see it happen in the garden. As soon as they sinned, they were separated from God. They had lost their communion. They lost their oneness with God. They lost their image. And Jesus had to come millennia later to restore that image, to restore that unification because separation from Christ uh, it could seem like a distance that is uh, is undiminishable it could seem like a distance remember when you were separated from Christ and you were lost in your in your desires and you were lost in the ways of the world and you were lost in your sin how far you felt away from the Lord how distant you felt away from God's presence how distant you felt away from God. And it is the plan and the work of the enemy that that be a constant, uh, that that be a constant reality in our lives because he knows that separated from Christ, we can do nothing. Separated from the vine, like Pastor Cole was talking last week, separated from the vine, we can do nothing. We are impotent. We are powerless. We lack creativity. We lack ideas. We lack intellect. We lack wisdom. We lack an attitude that people can gravitate towards. We lack an ability to be people, people, and we lack an ability to socialize, and we're always miserable. Separated from Christ, there is no joy. Separated from Christ, there's no peace. Separated from Christ, we're living detached from his word. And if we live detached from his word, we live detached from him. So I need to make sure that in my life, there's a word in me. I need to make sure that in my life, there's a word working in me. Because if I have his word, uh, then I have his work. Can you say amen? If I have his word, his word is to work in me so that I might reach that point of being unified with Christ. See, because we see, uh, we see the, the, the struggle that it is to be in a relationship with Jesus. We see how being in a relationship with Christ is the main objective and the main goal of every Christian. How many here want to be in a relationship with Christ? And we all say amen. How many know that it's about relationship and not religion? Amen. We all say amen. But rarely do we stop and think through God's word. Rarely do we stop to look and see how does God's word describe what my relationship, the nature of my relationship with Christ is. What is it that the word says of my relationship with Christ? And when you stop to think about what the word says and not just Put your relationship with Jesus in the same light as your relationship with a, a buddy of yours or your relationship with your favorite cousin uh, who you had over for Thanksgiving and ate all of your pateles. Or who, it, it, not the relationship that you have with your best friend from grade school because those relationships have different dynamics 
than what the Word says my relationship with Christ needs to be like. And in fact, the Word does never talks about me being in a relationship with Christ. It never talks about me needing to strive to have a relationship with Christ. Because if there's one thing about relationships is that it's a it's a um, it's a partnership where uh, you have your stuff and 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 I have and I have my stuff right like like very rarely is your friend's money your money right uh, very rarely is my money the little bit of money that I have my, my friend's money right when you guys go out unless one of you is filling in a giving mood you usually split the check because your money is your money, so you get to pick on whatever you want to pick from the menu, and his money is his money, so he can pick whatever he wants to pick from the menu. So very rarely is your the, the other person in the relationship's things your things, and vice versa. Your things are not his things. But that is totally opposite of what our relationship with Christ is. Because in our unity with Christ, everything that is his, he has given it to us. Everything that the Father gave to him, uh, he says in his word, he has given it to us. And he said, so that we may be, what, one. He didn't say so that we might have a relationship. No, so that we might be one. And if he compares the unity that he has with his church, his, if he's the bridegroom, the church is the what? The church is the bride. So he is comparing it to a marriage. A lot of us guys don't like it when they talk about us being brides. Praise God. But the reality is, is that Jesus is the husband, and we are the bride. The church is the bride. It's talking about a unity with Christ. It's, talk, it's talking about a oneness with Christ. Because if he makes the parallel, if he makes the comparison to marriage, having already established in his word in the Gospels that what God unites, let no man separate. That what God brings together, let no man separate. And in parentheses, I just want to tell you that it doesn't matter what you can going through in your marriage, God can fix it. Praise the Lord. It doesn't matter what you may be going through in your relationship with your kids. You as a family, you are one. You are, it's not just a, a parenting relationship and I can't wait till he turns 18 so he can get the heck out and I can use his room for a, a cricket office space or whatever. No, what you, what you have to understand about being a, a family is that you are one. It's what God instituted. That's why Joshua said, me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If I have a wayward son, I need to, I need to make sure that I I have instilled, I have a oneness with him to such a degree that even though I don't see him every day, even though I don't know what he's doing, even though I don't know who he's talking to, I know that he has inside of him the same Christ that I have inside of me. It's a oneness. It's a unification. So I want to take you further than just being in a relationship because you might be striving to be in something that God doesn't want you to be in. He doesn't 
just wants you to have a relationship with him. He wants you to understand that you have been made one with him. It's a totally different understanding. It's a totally different comprehension. And the Bible, and the Bible takes us through numerous scripture that is able to, it's, it is able to sow into that unity where you're able to understand that unity. But first, let me take you back to the separation because it's necessary for you to understand what separation does. You have to understand what separation does. Because the main, goal of, uh, the main goal of sin is separation, and that separation creates something, creates a state in our lives where the enemy is able to have an advantage. And the state that it creates is that it creates a muted state in our lives where you cry out and you pray and you cry out and you pray and you cry out and you pray. But nobody hears you. But nobody hears you. Why? Because in the state that you're in, because of sin, you are currently on mute. It's like if, it's like if the devil took a remote control and hit the mute button. So you're currently on mute. Where does it say that in the Bible? Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. Remember that at that time, you were, separate, you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel. So you were separated and you were excluded. And not only were you separated and excluded, you were a foreigner. You were a foreigner to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God, without hope and without God, without hope and without God. So that separation excluded you from his promises, excluded you. I was excluded from being a citizen of God's kingdom, a citizen of God's people. But verse 13 says, but now in Christ... But now in Christ. It doesn't say, but now through a relationship with Christ. No, it says, but now in Christ. But now in Christ, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Hallelujah. You who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. How many are thankful that you have a Christ, that it doesn't matter how far away you were, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary was able to reach you exactly where you were. You didn't need to do much. You just needed to be in the place where he found you because he had the power. His blood has the power to reach but there's one thing, there's one thing that I need. Let's see, let, 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 let's take a look at this verse, Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Not that he cannot hear. He does not 
here. Second Chronicles verse seven, uh, chapter seven, verse 14. If my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. See, we're not just talking about sinners. We can understand that when we were in that state of sin, we were separated from God and God couldn't hear us. Because of our sin, because of our iniquities, God couldn't hear us. But this verse is not talking about the sinner. This verse is talking about his people. And who were these people? These were the people who God took out of Egypt, who God, he manifested miracles in Egypt. He manifested miracles in the desert. He manifested miracles in the promised land in order for his people to understand that he meant business, in order for his people to understand that he was serious about having a relationship with them. And it doesn't matter what God did with Israel. God, uh, Israel continued to turn their backs on God. Israel continued to prefer other gods other than their God. And it was because of that that they became separated. They became separated. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. It is the work of the enemy, it is the design, it is the plan, it is the desire of the enemy for you not to be heard, for you to lose your voice, for you to get lost in the silence of your sin, for you to get lost in the silence of your separation. Perhaps, you're, it, perhaps it's not that you're living in sin, but a mistake has thrown you off course and and being thrown off course has given the enemy an advantage in your life an advantage that has made you feel like God can't hear you an advantage that has made you feel like anything that you say anything that you do what you're trying to how you're how you're trying to live for God is not working but it's not until you understand that when you remove that which is not allowed Allowing you to be heard. When you remove that which is not allowing you, but I can't. Uh, it's too hard. I, I, I'm, I'm too broken or I'm too hurt. You're never too broken for Jesus. You're never too broken for Christ. It doesn't matter what mental state you're in. It doesn't matter what medication you're on. It doesn't matter what has been prescribed in your life, what diagnosis you have been given. You are never too damaged for Jesus Christ. And all you need is a word. Hallelujah. All you need is a word from God. All you need is a word from God. Why? Because the... Because sin might be able to separate you for a time from God. But it is not until that word that has been spoken over your life comes back to your recollection. 
Hallelujah. It starts with that word. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So the, the nature of faith is God's word. The nature of faith or the supernature of faith is God's word. So if God spoke a word over your life, it doesn't matter how far away sin has taken you. Once that word is, you remember the prodigal son? He took all of his goods. He went and lived la vida loca. And he lost it all. You remember? He lost it all. And when he was eating the food of the pigs, when he was in a pig pen eating the, foods of the, uh, the food of the pigs, he recollected. He had a recollection. His own situation reminded him of the word of his father. Praise God. His own situation. Because it doesn't matter. Sin, sin might be able to separate you from God. But it's never going to put you in a position where it separates you from the word that God has already planted in your life. Hallelujah. There's a word that God has planted in your life that the devil wants to so he wants to yank it out. He wants to, he wants to shovel it out. But it doesn't matter what he does. That word cannot be taken away from you. It's that word that sustains you. It's that word that's going to lift you up. When you're in that pig pen, he recollected in my father's house. In my father's house, there is peace. There is joy. There food there is provision there is safety there is refuge what am I doing in this pig pen what am I doing in this pig pen when I have a word from my father what am I doing in this pig pen when I was one with my father and I had it all what am I doing in this pig pen. That's what the enemy the enemy wants to detour you. He wants you to take a different direction. He wants you to live by your own conscience, by your own intellect, by your own wisdom. And those are exactly the things that lead to destruction. Those are exactly the things that lead to separation. But the word of God can bring it all back into recollection in your life that you can remember who you are in Jesus. That you can remember who you are in Christ. Praise God. We live in a time where far too many people, where far too many people have a casual faith. We live in a time where church has become just another thing that we do. It becomes just another thing that we do. And it feeds our inner desire to feel righteous. Because we do have a moral compass. And we do know right from wrong. It doesn't matter how dirty you get in life. You know what's right and you know what's not right. You know what's right and you know what's wrong. You know, and, and, and we, we oftentimes that has become the, the sufficiency of our relationship with Christ. As long as I'm not doing nothing wrong. As long as I'm not doing nothing wrong. And the enemy takes advantage of these things. 
because it might start with, and as long as I'm not doing anything wrong, but then it turns into, uh, well, let me justify how doing this wrong thing is actually not wrong, but it's right. Because we have it all backwards when it comes to what Christ or how Christ wants to live in us. And so when you're muted and God can't hear you, you live in the silence of your sin. You live in the silence of your separation. And the word from God is what breaks that cycle. The word from God. Look what happened with John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3. Because this is what the word does. It, it, the, 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 the first instinctive reaction that a human being has, we are God's creation. He designed us, he created us each with our distinct DNA. Male and female. So he created us. He knows us. Everything about us. How many hairs you have on your head? Those of you who have hair. And so there is an instinctive reaction to God's word that you can't control. For example, for example, for example. When you are sitting in that pew and pastor's preaching and you just automatically just feel, oh, that was for me. You said that was for you. He didn't say it was for you. He didn't have a conversation with you. He don't know what's happening in your life, but that's that instinctive reaction. Oh, man, that's for me. Right? That's why we say in Spanish, you know what, hallelujah, diga ouch. If you're not going to say hallelujah, say ouch, at least. But, but here's what happens after that reaction, right? Matthew chapter 3, the first two verses. In those days, John the Baptist came Preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent for the kingdom. So the first word after 400 years of silence. After 400 years of silence, the first word that breaks the silence is repent. Repent. Why? Because true repentance comes with particular actions that break you away from the sin that is keeping you separated. Because the first thing that happens for you to repent is you have to recognize. There's a recognition that you have failed God. There's a recognition that you're not living in your true identity. There's a recognition. Sometimes we need to repent even being saved. Sometimes we need to repent even being saved. We need to look back and say, wow, man, I shouldn't have treated my wife that way. 
Because if you don't repent after one action and that action becomes two and then 15, now you are practicing sin. Now you are practicing sin. And John says, he who practices sin is not of God. So sometimes we need to repent. But the first thing that needs to happen for that repentance is I need to recognize. I need to recognize that I messed up. I shouldn't have. I, I, I shouldn't have lied or I shouldn't have went out with that friend or I shouldn't have spoken that way to my kids or I shouldn't have watched that movie or I shouldn't have went out to this party or I shouldn't have. No, you have to recognize that recognition. That recognition is the first response to God's word. It makes you, re- it convicts you to the point where it, re- where it makes you recognize that you messed up. And when you recognize, you confess. You confess your sin. And confessing your sin is the first step to salvation. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, belief comes through recognition. You confess with your mouth. The last one is you separate yourself from that which had you bound. So you recognize, you confess, and you separate. Because you'll never beat that sin if you keep hanging out with the same people, if you keep talking to the same people that had you all involucrated in the sin, that had you all tied up in it. So you have to separate yourself. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. And therefore, I was given the things that are given to children. But now that I am a man, so you can't keep doing the things that your old man was doing. You can't keep going the places your old man was going if you want to be a new man. Because God can't put new wine in old wineskins. And let me tell you, we are living in days, we are living in days where there are so many crazy, unfactual, false ideologies that if you start getting entangled with your old man, it's like if you've ever heard, if you've ever spoken to these people, I, 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 have, I have met them. I, I have met them where you ask them what they think about something particular, that's going on in our society, and you know that they're believers, and you know that, they're, that, that they understand the Bible. And 10 years ago, they wouldn't have been for what, what they're, they're hearing, but this, this, now it's, it's all right, you know. I don't really have much to say about it. You know, it's, and, and, and this, is what, this is what happens when we are separated from our unity with Christ. You... He's not trying to force anybody. He's not trying to obligate anybody. This unity, you can just have a casual relationship with Jesus. Where you pray 15 minutes a day and before you go to bed, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep and if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord. So you can have a casual relationship. Nobody, you know, that, that might get you to heaven. 
That might get you to heaven. But what God is calling you to live is something so much greater. God is calling you to live something so much more powerful. And this is how, this is how, it, came, this is how it came from the mouth of, God, of Jesus Christ. So in John chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17, Jesus' final farewell address is taking place. When you read these chapters, you understand that Jesus is for the last time as the rabbi. He's speaking for the last time as their teacher, as their master. And of the things that he's teaching, he's teaching about unity with him. Chapter 15. And when he gets into chapter 16 and 17, he begins, in chapter 16, he's teaching about Holy Spirit being given to them. And then in 17, he prays. And in his prayer, there's three parts to his prayer in John chapter 17. The first part, he's glorifying the Father. In the second part, he's praying for his disciples. And in the third part, he's praying for us, for the body. We had it. He knew us. So he glorifies the Father. He prays for his disciples. And then he prays for us. He prays for the believer. And while he's praying for the disciples, this, and this takes me back to what I said earlier about how when you're in a relationship, unless you're in a marriage like mine, where everything that's hers is hers and everything that's mine is hers also. <laughs> but when you're in a relationship, you're, it's normally not the case. Your stuff is your stuff, and my stuff is my stuff. That's not what John 17 is talking about. Look at what he says. John 17, verses 7 and 8. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them and have known Surely that I come from you, and they have believed that you sent me. And then in verse 23, when he's praying for us, he says, I in them, and you in me. I in them, and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Verse 22 says, the glory that you have given me, I have given them. Praise God. See, there's a glory that God doesn't share with nobody. Right? It's the glory of his sovereignty. The glory of his sovereignty. He is Yahweh. He is God. He doesn't share that glory with nobody. But this is saying the glory he gave Christ, being able to overcome sin in the flesh. Being able to have overcome sin in the flesh. Having had received the victory over the devil is the glory he was given. He gave that glory to us. He gave that to us. This is why I can't just be in a relationship. 
because he's inviting me to something much more powerful. Hallelujah. He's inviting me to something much more fruitful. He's inviting me to a unity with him. And through that unity, everything I go through, he's going through it with me. Hallelujah. In a relationship, I have to tell him about what I'm going through. In a relationship, I have to pray and explain to him, well, Jesus, this is what happened. But when you are one with him, oh, my goodness, when you are one with him, you can be like those three Hebrew young people who were put into the fire. And when they were in the fire, he might not show up every time that you have an argument with somebody and they make you feel like, no, but in the furnace, when it's been jacked up seven times, he's going to show up in the furnace and he's going to show himself to your enemy and let your enemy know, no, I am one with him. What you do to him, you do to me. So I would rather not tell Jesus about what I'm going through and live with the understanding and the faith that he's going through it with me. And if he's going through it with me, I already have the victory over it. I'm going to say that again. If he's going through it with you, you already have your solution. You have your answer. You have everything you need so that that situation does not, it doesn't even detour you. Because he's going through it with you. He told the disciples, in the world you will have affliction, but fear not. As a matter of fact, he didn't even say fear not. He said, but be of good cheer. But be of good cheer, because I have conquered the world. Are you, are you seeing the difference between, between the relationship that we all have been striving to maintain? A relationship is something that you maintain, that you manage. But unity with Christ is something that you are. Oh, my goodness. Being one with Christ is something that you are. That when you're a drug addict, you, what are you doing? Well, who do you think you are trying to get involved in the church? Don't you know you don't have no education? Don't you know you don't have no credentials? And when, you, when your response to the enemy is not, oh, well, I'm trying. Uh, I'm striving to be like Jesus. No, your response to the enemy, yeah, that's who I was, but now I'm with Christ. Christ is in me and I and in him and whatever he wants me to do, his will be done and not mine. So everything that he, that the father gave him, he gave to us. Everything he gave. And so, so my destiny in life, according to what Paul is saying in Philippians chapter 3, my destiny, what I should be striving for isn't a title. What I should be striving for isn't just what I'm going to be remembered for. What I should be striving for is the goal to win the prize for which God has called me. God has called me to reach a goal. God has called me heavenward. Not just to go to heaven when I die. 
not just to be called up in the rapture, to be able to hear the trumpet sound and be called up in the rapture. No, it's that everything I do in life gets me closer and closer to heaven. Everything I do in Christ gets me closer and closer to being more like him. That's what Paul is striving for. So, here, here, so here's what Paul teaches us. There's four phases of that unity. A relationship is simply based on a common likeness. There's something that you like about the person. They, they're cool to be with, right? They're cool to hang out with. You like playing Call of Duty with them. You're both Giants fans. Or you're both Cowboys fans. Or you have a common interest in cars. Or but what Christ is calling you to it, it's a lot, it, it takes a lot more from us to attain it. See, this is, why, this is why this word is for right now. Because right now there are people who are good and content with the casualness of church. With the casualness of prayer. With the casualness of a relationship with God. But God is calling right now, if there was ever a time where I can't be just a casual Christian. If there was ever a time where I don't need to fit in. God hasn't called you to fit in. He hasn't called you to be just another he hasn't called you to be like the rest. He has called you to stand out. And it's in the standing out that you're going to lose friends. Hallelujah. It's in the standing out that people are going to turn their backs on you. It's in the standing out that you're going to be left alone. It's in the standing out more than ever in that standing out process, you need to be one with Christ. Because when you stand out and you're all by yourself, you have a million questions. When you want to stand out and you want to be different and you want to maintain and you want to maintain your witness, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the situation, you want to maintain your witness. You cannot allow your witness to be faded. You cannot allow your witness to be distorted just because you want to fit in. If, there, if, if you are by yourself, if you're just in a casual relationship, you're one of the rest. You're one of the rest. Where the witness takes a back seat to your will. And so... What Christ is calling us to, to be one with him, to be united with him, understanding, having the mind of Christ, walking like Christ, behaving like Christ, understanding what Christ did when he was three and a half years in ministry, how he, he didn't want to be with the cool crowd. 
He didn't want to be with the people who would recognize him. He didn't want to be recognizable. He didn't want to be applauded. I always say this. I love how Jesus chooses. Because he doesn't choose like man chooses. He will never choose like men choose. Men choose with a totally different set of requirements than what God chooses. You can be that kid with the ice cream stain on your shirt, standing against the wall in the park, and they pick nine other players to play basketball, and they rather say, listen, y'all can play with four. We'll, we'll play with four, but we don't want him. You know? Because he had an ice cream stain and boogies coming out his nose. And he didn't have the Jordans. He had the Bobos from Kmart. Y'all remember Kmart? I'm not talking about me. This didn't happen to me. So if y'all think I'm talking about myself, you're mistaken. I was always like the first or second one picked. So I'm not talking about myself. I'm trying to give you some, I'm trying to give you some perspective as to how we as, as people choose, right? We choose the biggest, the baddest. Samuel had the same problem. He went to the first six sons of Jesse first. The, the nice, the, the, the ones that look nice and they all look like Bradley Cooper or whatever, you know what I mean? And so, and, and the, do you have, you have one more? Man, I would have never thought it was him. And God told them, because, because men choose by the appearance, but I look at the heart. I look at the heart. So when Jesus chose his disciples, he didn't go to the 70 in the Sanhedrin. He didn't go to the synagogues where there were scholars and rabbis. He didn't go to the temple where there was Levites and, and people and men who were experienced in temple worship and sacrifices and they knew the 613 laws of the, of the law of Moses backwards and forwards and up and down. And, and, and No, he went to the Sea of Galilee. <laughs> he went to the Sea of Galilee and he chose frustrated Fishermen. He chose frustrated fishermen. They were all sweaty and all dirty and they needed haircuts. And he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The Bible says that these were unlearned men. They had no education. But they followed Christ, and Christ did not use their education. He didn't need a resume with references and past experience to choose them. So this is why we must understand that this is not the time for a casual relationship with Jesus Christ. This is not the moment for a casual relationship. I need I need to reach that union with him. The first thing I have to do, the first thing Christ calls us to do is be crucified with him. You have to be willing to suffer like Jesus suffered. In the sense of I need to die to myself 
I need to die to my will. I need to die to my purpose. I need to die to what I want to happen in my life. And I need Christ to live in me. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. I no longer live, but Christ lives me, when you're sitting at your desk at work or you're doing whatever you're doing at work and the economy is messed up and inflation is through the roof and everybody's Christmas packages are on some container in the Pacific Ocean and everybody's all messed up because of what's happening on the news because they're getting sucked into the liberal media and all that is is, is depressing and darkness and lies and falsities and everything. And they're like, man, but you're, you look so peaceful. What is it that, how come you're, don't you watch the news? Don't you know what's happening? Don't you know what this is? I, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And if Christ lives in me, it doesn't matter what's happening around me. I'm still going to have peace. I'm still going to have joy. I'm still going to rejoice no matter the situation. No matter the situation, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I need to die to myself because you know, you know good and well that before, if it was all of you and none of Christ, you would have done cursed somebody out already. You know, if it was, you know, good and well, if it was all you and none of Christ, You'd have been done left your wife, or you'd have been done left your husband. Or you'd have been done kicked out your son or your daughter. Or you'd have been done left that job, or you'd have been done. What would you have allowed the enemy to bait you with if not for Jesus? If not, I say this all the time. I was headed down a path that was going to simply continue a cycle of women and worldliness, and secularization, and having three, four baby mamas, and all this other stuff. I was headed down that path. But quickly, and I thank God, quickly, immediately God said, that's not who you are. That's not who you are. You got a little taste. I was like, I'm done, Jesus. Forgive me, Lord. Take the wheel. You see, I didn't wait for the car to crash before telling Jesus to take the wheel. You know what I'm saying? I had just started the car, and I was revving it up. It was warming up, and then I was like, nah, Jesus, you need to, you need to handle this. This is, nah, this ain't even me right now. Why? Man, I'm thankful, but that's not everybody's case. There's some people who had a lease on a car. They drove the heck out of the car and they gave it back, drove another one and they gave it back, drove another one and they gave it back, drove another one and then they told Jesus to take the wheel. So wherever you fall on the spectrum, wherever you fall on the spectrum, you need to understand that you need Christ. I have Christ. You need more of Christ and less of you. Being crucified with Christ means that he is 
with you, he is in you, and you no longer live. The Robert that you see here is not the Robert you think Robert is. Christ is in me. Trust me. Believe me. The second, the second phase is being buried with Christ. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. We were therefore buried with him. It says it very clear. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. We die to ourselves through baptism in order that just as Christ was raised, we all want to get to Sunday. We all want to get to the resurrection and the glory. But you got to be buried first. You got to die to yourself first so that we too may live a new life. For if we have been unified with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. So that sin would be totally defeated in your life. So that you would no longer be a slave to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. You need to understand today, 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 that the casual, the time of casual relationship with the Lord where there's still a lot of me and I still get to make some of the decisions and I still get to say no sometimes and I still get to put my excuses sometimes, the time for that casual relationship is done because as long as I have a casual relationship, the door to sin is open. And if the door to sin is is open the door to being separated from God is open and if the door to being separated from God is open the devil has a remote control and the mute button is still working praise God so I need to go from that casual relationship to an understanding of how can I become more one with Christ more one with Christ, being crucified, dying to yourself, being buried, the phase of submission, submitting your old man, being buried, burying your old man. He no longer exists. And when you are resurrected, which is number three, resurrected with Christ. Hallelujah. This is the one we all want to get to. You know why? Because this is the one, this is the one that comes with victory. This is the one that comes with empowered living. This is the one that comes with Holy Ghost and fire. This is the one that comes with you understanding that he did not bring you back to be mediocre. He brought you back to do greater. Hallelujah. He didn't bring you back to be mediocre, to be ordinary. He didn't bring you back to be content and to be casual. He brought you back to do greater things. He brought you back to life. Your old man is gone. You no longer live. Christ lives in you. If you are resurrected with Christ, the Holy Spirit is at work work in you and through you and wherever the Holy Spirit is working there is freedom wherever the Holy Spirit is working there is liberty wherever the Holy Spirit is working the devil has no opportunity of advancement in your life because you have resurrected with Christ praise God 
If the spirit, verse 11 of Romans chapter 8, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your bodies because of the spirit that lives in you. You know, when that melancholy, when that uh, lack of energy, when that um, pessimism, when that depression and that indifference starts to settle into your life, starts to settle into your life, you need to understand that God did not call you to feel that way. If you resurrected with Christ, if you have partaken of his resurrection because Holy Spirit has resurrected you, because Holy Spirit has lifted you from the grave with a new man, with a new life, with a new mind, with a perspective with a new ability now you have the gifts the supernatural gifts of the spirit that he wants you to put into operation so that you're not just trying to guess how you can minister to your co-worker so you're not just trying to guess how you can witness but that you can use the gifts to witness to people and you can heal the sick and you can cast out devils and you can give a word of knowledge all of this comes with the resurrection all of this comes with partaking of a spirit-led resurrection of Christ. And the last one, and I'm done. He wants you to reign. We have to, we are called to reign with Christ. Not just in Revelation, but in Ephesians. We all understand that we're going to reign with him in Revelation. But we have to know that our identity includes reigning with him in Ephesians. So I want, to, I want you to focus on the reigning in Ephesians and leave the reigning in Revelation for when that happens. Praise the Lord. And the reigning in Ephesians is so powerful that when you engage in it, when you partake in it, when you participate in what Christ has given you in Ephesians, you will never feel like you're losing a battle ever again. You will never feel like the devil is advancing in your life ever again. You will never feel impotent ever again in your life. When you understand that you are seated with Christ in heavenly realms, that is talking about dominion. It's talking about reigning. It's talking about understanding the position that he set apart for you. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. If you believe, that's you. If you believe, that's you. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly realms. It is the same strength, the same might. And then you go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. This is why the devil hates you so much. This is why. I always say this. If you want to know how far you're getting in your unity with Christ, just, see, just look at how hard the devil is trying to bring you down. 
Because if there's anything that you learn about David is that as the anointing increases, so does the attack of the enemy. And the attack of the enemy is always going to take you to one place, you against yourself. Because when he was just a pastor, a shepherd's boy, he received the anointing. His, he was fighting against lions and bears, and he beat the lions and bears. He destroyed the lions and bears. He killed them. But, but then, the, then he was anointed to be king, and now he's fighting a giant. And then after he slays the giant, now he's fighting the king of the land. And then after the, God takes care of the king, now he's king. Now his greatest enemy is himself. So as you go growing in anointing, as you go more, as you grow more in Christ and grow more uh, united with Christ, the devil is going to increase his attack. But there's nothing that he can do if you're in it with Christ. This is why, this is why he hates you. Because the seat that he wanted. Y'all remember? The seat that Lucifer wanted, he didn't want to be above God. He wanted to sit next to God. But God said, I didn't create you to sit next to me. That is for someone else. So the devil goes crazy, gets thrown out of, gets thrown out of, uh, he wasn't in heaven, but he gets thrown out. And then now the seat that he wanted Paul is telling me that he gave it to me. Amen. He gave you the seat that Satan wanted. Therefore, the devil's not going to cease. That's why it's not time for a casual relationship. Because he's not taking a break. He's not sleeping. He's destroying our society. He's destroying our way of life, though, as, as it, it, it's just, it's evident, it's blatant, it's not even trying to be hidden anymore. It's not even trying to, they're not even trying to hide it anymore. So we have to be secure in our identity with Christ. I finish with this. Being united with Christ is going to open is going to open a reality where your connection to him is always going to produce something tangible. So you, a unity with Christ will always create blessing in your life. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you might face or when you face it or how you're facing it or what happens it could be financial it could be personal it could be spiritual it could be health-wise whatever when you are united with Christ I always admire someone who went through such a dark place and did not let the dark place separate them from their unity with Christ. Because they went in and they came out with the same praise. They went in blessed and they came out more blessed. They went in blessed and they came out more blessed. And that is the, that's what the unity of Christ does. A casual relationship, you're going to take what you can. You're going to take the crumbs that come from the table. 
but uh, a, a unity with Christ, you're going to understand that when something is going on in your life that, that, that's unexpected, you're going to be able to say, Jesus, you handle it. Jesus, you handle it. Jesus, if you're in this with me, I know that you're going to get me through it. So I have to go from a casual relationship to understanding my unity with Christ. My kids depend on that. My marriage depends on that. My finances, it's not just something based on spirituality. It will encompass and it will cover every aspect of your life. So when Paul is saying, I press on, hallelujah. When Paul is saying, I press on, he says, I'm leaving everything behind. I'm forgetting the shipwreck. I'm forgetting being thrown in jail. I'm forgetting being accused of setting a fire. I'm forgetting everything they taught us two years ago in the VBS that Paul went through. I'm forgetting all of that, and I am pressing forward. Is there anybody who can share that sentiment with Paul today and say, I am pressing forward. Forget about what happened. Forget about what they said about you. Forget about what you lost. Press forward because there's a blessing that God wants you to walk in. There's a blessing. There's a victory that God wants you to walk in.
from God because of your sin and you want to close that gap today, God is calling you. God is calling you into a unity with his son, Jesus. If there's anybody here that wants to accept Christ, you want to, you want to take that step of faith, I want to pray with you. Can you come up and talk to me? I hope you've enjoyed today's message and that it has been a blessing to you. Thank you for listening in. If you have met Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you please connect with us either at our website, www.centralfamily.net, or perhaps give us a call at 610-865-0577. We'd love to hear from you. Also, if this has been that kind of a blessing to you, would you consider blessing us with a financial gift to make it possible for us to continue to do what we're doing here and taking the gospel not only to the Lehigh Valley but around the world. We want to do our part in reaching the people that God has entrusted to us with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can help us with your financial gift or sowing a seed to this ministry. God bless you. Have an amazing day. Remember, you can reach us and give through www.centralfamily.net.